one of the things that gets lost is we kind of roll this thing out. Like, here's the product, here's the marketing material, here's the sales play. Really, you should have some sort of visual for everyone. And I don't know if it's sort of a product matrix, if you will. You know, so everybody has that kind of central reminder of this is why we're doing this. This is who we're going to, and this is the benefit. Hi there. This is Vijay Damaji Prapu, and you're listening to the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders Podcast. The show where I go behind the scenes with top go-to-market practitioners to discuss their mindset and tactics. Welcome to yet another episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders Podcast. Now, today, I have with me Sean Allen, who's a sales director at Citrix. And just some context for the listeners, uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Sean a couple of times over the last one year, really ins- insightful conversations, lots of wisdom. So I'm excited to be speaking with you today, Sean. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, VJ. It is always an honor to join forces with you. And we've had great conversations as you alluded to in the past. So I am pumped. This is right in my lane and I enjoy the company. So hello to you and hello to the listeners. Fantastic. So I always start off my podcast with this question to my guest, which is how do you describe and view go to market? Yeah. So it's been something I've been knee deep in for probably the last decade, but I think, you know, real quickly, I think in terms of how are you going to reach a specific target customer, but more than that, really achieve sort of a competitive advantage. Like we're not looking to go to market to just exist. Mm -hmm. So it's not only to how do we reach the right people at the right time with the right product, but also how do we do that? Competitively, like we want to win, right? Yeah. So I think there's two kind of aspects to my definition as I think through them. It's never enough just to roll it out. Sure. And in your go to market lens, now, how often and how deep do you think about not just the sales, which is your primary responsibility, but how often do you think about like the products, the product portfolio, the marketing functions, and maybe even customer success if it's a SaaS product? Yeah. So there's a little bit there, but I think in general, what I'm doing is we're in an environment where we're constantly rebranding. There's additional products. We just had a huge acquisition. So we'll be working that into the product portfolio and we're already going to market with that. So, you know, in my current stop, and I would say probably the last couple of stops, they've kept us really busy and on our toes. So we don't do a lot of revisiting old go-to-market strategy, but we're always kept on our toes with sort of those new things coming down the pipe. So we're very rich in, you know, really having to do this set of actions. And, you know, so it's almost become, I don't want to say machine-like, but I often refer to vehicles. And so the vehicle we're riding in, you can sub out any driver, right? And so we have that kind of set process and things that we consider as we go to market. When we're starting off, I mean, obviously we're handed typically a product. I'm not in the product development. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of you know dev and things that are done, whether you're prod zero, prod one, beta, what have you. So when they usually reach the sales level, I'm in on some earlier prior to launch meetings, of course, but we're really seeing it as quite a mature product that's ready for consumption. So I think that that's big to point out is depending on you know who you are, what your role is, is where you're going to be seated sort of in the continuum. I'm a little more to the latter, which I prefer because I'm not a 
uh, a dev guy, but, but so it's been great getting those products, you know, ready to launch. And typically we're about a quarter out when it hits my radar. So when we're talking SaaS or whether it's a networking product or what have you, that's a pretty good leeway and runway to get everything set up to go to market. Cool. So that's a good segue into what you do at Citrix today. So talk to us about your career path and uh, why did you even get into sales? Why sales and what do you do at Citrix today? Yeah, it's a funny story. Originally, I got into sales. I was a psychology major and I was actually still finishing up my bachelor's degree. And I was in a pretty uh, dirty, smelly role, spreading fertilizers and helping in beautification and such. And I used to see the sales guys come in with the real clean white shirts. And so I desired to be someone with a clean white shirt rather than a dirty, smelly green one, if you will. Yeah. So I kind of edged my way in. I started cloverleafing my accounts and I had I did a very good job with my accounts. And so I sort of slid my way into sales because I was selling a lot as a service individual. So from there, I, I you know, really, I'm a big goal-oriented guy. So I started to look at, well, what do I really want to do in sales now that I've committed to sales? And just as an aside, it was sell software or be a pharma rep at the time. This was probably the early 2000s. So those were two very highly sought after things. And so fast forward, you know, I did get into software and I ended up selling software. Pharma became less cool of a gig, if you will. You know, you couldn't do a lot of the things that you, you used to be able to do in there to make it a really sought after role. So software it was. Uh, so I started selling. And then what I did was I paid particular pro- attention to some of the processes. And I honestly just said to myself, like, there has to be a better way to do this. And so broadly, I started really focusing on how I was approaching my customers and really giving it more thought and process orientation. And it worked for me. And so what happened was I got into leadership because they said, if you can do that well, why can't you teach others to do that? Yeah. And so there were many enablement tools and such that we used to get there. So, you know, and I kind of fell into a position in my last role of building, this was B2C, um, but it was going to market in a way that had never been done before in a hundred plus year old industry orthodontics. And so uh, we were tasked with building out a large program to reach consumers in a very you know state-of-the-art current way. And so we were building Salesforce out of the box, hiring you know not only product folks, marketing folks, sales folks. So it really was, I was a little bit in the deep end at the time, but it was vast learning. And it was, as I said, I was minded that way already as a salesperson. So it was a pretty good fit. And I kind of took to it naturally. So then became this more all-inclusive job of you know designing these sort of go-to-market programs rather than just selling a, an end product that came to sales. So it's been a really good ride. And so it was a natural progression to build teams. And with Citrix being so busy and so many products in the portfolio and a lot of new things happening, it was just a joy to be matched up that way and have that experience behind me. I'm always learning, by the way but be with an active product portfolio as well. So kind of all tied together. I think I've come up through the ranks. They kind of gave me SB, small business, as uh, here you go, kids, see what you can do with this. Yeah. And this is at Citrix where you are today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I first came to Citrix, they kind of threw me the bone of SB, which had never been penetrated real well, or they never did really well at those lower line sizes. And we did very well. And a lot of that was the structure that I had kind of brought with me in my digital briefcase, powered with a lot of the oomph that Citrix had. 
So I went to medium business and then mid-market and uh, sort of skipped over commercial, don't tell anybody. And I got to the enterprise. And so we're out there mostly greenfield focused or white space focused in the enterprise out in the Western US. And so that's my focus today. And uh, I'm leading you know, ERMs, but more deeply embedded in the marketing focus and the product focus. And so it's really got me down in the in the trenches, if you will. And we're launching a new things in workspace all the time. We had a big acquisition of Ripe recently. So very active time to be in the seat. And I believe I just love working with enterprise customers. I mean, I've been up and down the stack. And you know, this is where they're really in tune to our whole solution stack. And it's all viable where that wasn't the case necessarily in in lower line sizes, both here and throughout my career. Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting journey and a funny way in how you (laughs) ended up in sales, right? That's a great story in itself. Uh, Really curious. And along those lines, you shifted from, did you say farming? That's what the initial one was or... I worked for essentially like a uh, lawn and lawn and shrub and tree beautification company. So there's a few big ones out there. I won't name any names, but yeah, I was climbing palm trees, killing bugs, but it was a way to put myself through school. And yeah, it was a pretty good living. I didn't have the traditional kind of dorm set up. I already was engaged and had a bought our first home. And so I needed to make more money while I was going through school. So I was full blown with a mortgage, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a very dirty, smelly job loading fertilizer in the morning and such. And so yeah, people ask me and they they chuckle. So you just wanted a cleaner shirt? You wanted to wear a cleaner <laughs> shirt? Yeah, that's basically it at the time. That's a lot of reasons why I love it today. But that's what kind of pushed me in that direction. Exactly. And it also shows that the skills, the sales skills, the expert that you're in sales it's transferable, right? I mean, earlier on, you were more in the quote-unquote farming or shrubs or whatever it is, the more non-traditional or no-tech, to now you're selling software products, virtual desktops, right? And you were talking about like the new portfolio from Reich acquisition. That's a big shift in itself. And it boils down to how you adopt and bring that same sales mindset into understanding of buyers, understanding the barriers, and then just interacting and helping them solve their problems. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, what we're recently finding is, you know, there's times when you're more end user focused. There's times when you're more in an IT silo. Right. We wrestle with a lot of that. I won't say we struggle because Citrix has had a ton of acquisitions along the way. But this one is is a little bit of a shift in that I think you'd find most of the sellers kind of hometown is that IT funnel. And we look up to the, the CIO and what, but this is sort of a throwback to a brief stint I had when I first joined Citrix. I didn't mention this, but I was in the uh, Sharefile org for about a quarter and then they threw me into core. So I had experience in dealing with the, the end user and, and going to market to the end user which is a lot more context. I mean, you're approaching that in a different way. And so getting back to sort of my roots has been a really positive experience thus far. Now we've only been, I'd say live for a few weeks. Everybody knows the acquisition happened recently. So mm-hmm. we are sort of building it out as, as we speak here. Yeah, fantastic. And then on the other side, more on the lighter, funnier side, hopefully it's the funnier side, but knowing you and sure it's the funnier side, which is how would your kids describe what you do at work. What do you do for a living? Probably. <laughs> so it usually ends with a little bit of uh, the eyes glazing over, right? 
Mm-hmm. So I could tell you that if I asked my son that, he'd know I'm in sales. Mm-hmm. He knows that I help people work remotely under any circumstances. I think that's about as far as it goes. He could name the company I work for, right? Yeah. But when people ask me, I usually get to about the eight second mark and their eyes blaze over. And what's even funnier is I would typically hold my wife to hire account to know what I do, but I'm not sure she could explain it any better than my son. In fact, together, they probably wouldn't nail, but only a portion of it. So they know I'm in tech. They know I'm in sales. They know what accounts I work, you know, Western US, you know, enterprise focused. And, and that's about uh, the end of it. But it's when you had prepped me with that question, I just chuckled because it doesn't matter. My <laughs> wife, my son, none of them really know exactly what I do, but they know that I lead people and we do important work. And I think that that's the most important thing to me. Cool. All right. So let's talk more about what you do in, I mean, what you're focusing on for 2021. And you and I spoke about this briefly last week, which is you're focusing on Greenfield and enterprises. So talk to us about, I mean, even before talking about the 2021 goals, how did you land this role within Citrix? That's a story in itself. Yeah, that's uh, one of my more proud moments or stories, I guess I would say. But, you know, I always say when a door closes, another one opens. And that's, this is probably a great example of that. So they had tapped me because I had been been involved in the Greenfield notion here, but really had built a almost two decade uh, sales career in purely Greenfield. So I had that kind of reputation. And uh, as I said, we went through SB and SMB and then mid market really well. And so I had the reputation. So some of the Enablement folks had tapped me for sort of the sales kickoff session on new customers in the new norm was the name. And so we're basically, I had a real fun session where I got to throw an easy button up in the air and I got to really talk about a lot of the fun things about Greenfield sales. And at the same time, I was interviewing for commercial role and I didn't get that role. I thought I was the most natural fit. But I don't get too discouraged. It's, it's a door that closed and we've got to figure out another way in, right? So my current boss, who is a uh, vice president, actually was in the audience for that virtual session. And he, I don't think two hours went by after the session was over where he called me and said, you got something, kid, basically. And he said, I, I have a spot opening up, as you may know, we're making some investments and I'd like to talk with you. And so long story short, I won the role in enterprise, skipping over commercial, by the way, but I had just had such a long career where there were some real repeatable things I could depend on. And so I'd kind of built a system around that. And so that was the story. You just saw me in a session. I was kind of, I don't want to say down on my luck, but I knew I had just gotten a nose, kind of thinking like, where is this going next? And all of a sudden the phone call came. So it was a really, really cool story. I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, it was very quickly, I was in that seat and a matter of days. So, you know, I'm elated. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you just have the right people in the audience, huh, Vijay? Exactly. And then you said it right, right? I mean, one door closes, it doesn't mean that everything is, it's, it's not the end of the world, but it's just a sense from above that there's something bigger in store. And that's what it turned out to be for you. So good. Excited for you, Sean. Oh, thank you, sir. You did also mention about uh, what you're doing at that virtual sales kickoff, right? The story. I think you had like an acronym there. So talk to us in the audience about what that is, the framework, and how you teach your sales uh, team around that. Yeah, I'll trust some of the audience has seen the movie Moneyball. And, you know, Billy Bean was kind of an unconventional guy that came to baseball as a GM and really started looking at analytics because he didn't have budget. And so he had to get smarter. And so I've always been minded like Billy. 
it's a story, it's a movie, but it's an actual based on a true story. And so he was able to almost get to the World Series based with no budget, just looking at analytics. And so I started to think about that. And I actually started to ask salespeople and, you know, marketing is a little more trackable, but I would ask salespeople, why do you do what you do? Why did you turn left? Why did you turn right? Why did you decide on this messaging? And largely they couldn't tell me. That was a really profound moment or series of moments. So I kind of set out to know that when I walk in a room, I have to be a people person, DJ, like first. So that's table stakes. But I would walk in with this briefcase and say, you know, here are the analytics on all of it. And it just doesn't tell the story that is in line with the direction you're having the department go, for lack of a better phrase. This was years ago. So I developed an acronym called DALI. And it's funny when I say DALI, that people chuckle and say DALI partner. I said, no, 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 Salvador DALI because he was very abstract. So that's really where the root of it came, but it had to fit the lettering, but it really stands for define, act, learn, and iterate. And I think that that's really important, whether you're marketing, whether you're product, whether you're sales, we all should really be operating as one, as you and I have talked about in the past. But sometimes we don't do a really good job at a number of those or all of them or one of them that might be critical. But the first is to, is define. So pretty simple, go to market acronym TAM, right? What's your total addressable market? You know, have you developed personas? You know, who is going to be buying? Who is going to be your champions? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Again, inherent with that, it's important to point out is that everybody's rowing together, right? So you got product, marketing, sales, anyone else, enablement, you know, that might be in line there. So that's the acronym. I don't know if you want me to dive into each one, but we have to define the mission. We have to act pretty early on. So even if that's just an A-B test, or you're going to run a pilot, right? you know, we've got to definitely learn while we're going. And some companies have a, a good accumulation of data that they can draw from. Some have to build that data. They have to build that history. And then iterate is just double down, you know, really double down on those areas that that are working and abandon or retest in a different way under a different scope, mm-hmm. those things that didn't work. So happy to dive in further because DALI is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, actually, uh, let's dive into that. So DALI's D-A-L-I and D stands for define, A is for activate, L is for learn, and I is for iterate, right? Yeah. So a couple of questions that come to my mind, Sean, is one, do you do this as a cross-functional exercise with marketing, sales, and maybe other teams, including finance? How do you do this? Yeah. So it's in the language that I'm interacting with them on. And I have had a few curious people and say, oh, gosh, do you have that on a slide? I'd really like to. So we've done some of that in my past, but typically I'm using it as kind of my beacon, right? Or my lighthouse. And so I don't get too far from there because then I get into uncharted waters, but I'm always looking for, are we hitting those marks? Are we defining well and in a thorough way? Are we talking about it too long? We're running low on timeline. We've got to go act, right? So are we doing those things, whether it's uh, testing the messaging or you know building brand awareness and demand gen, for example, so, you know, it's always been in the language. I don't teach it as a course. It's just not my role, but I could very easily. But I think people take to kind of a track to run on typically, whether it's something that is central to their being and their work, or you're just bringing it as a track to run on in a particular interaction. They've always reacted well 
and really kind of taken to it. So now it's kind of out in the open because I've done it in a few, you know, larger scope of sessions. Yeah. And so they'll kind of nickname me, if you will. I'm the Valley guy, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. always inherent in the messaging and I use it as kind of my guidepost. Cool. So let's get into more specifics over here. So walk us through the DALI exercise that you might have done, either maybe as part of your small business or mid-market or commercial, right? So just walk us through that DALI, your thought process and how you applied it. Well, I think it's table stakes to know that, you know, the definition is first. It can't come second. It can't come third. So these are all sort of in chronological order as well. But I think the main thing you're trying to address in the define part of the model is, you know, who is your target? Do you want to take a specific example? Maybe it's a small business for a specific product portfolio? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about the recent acquisition here and, you know, kind of the shift there. So, you know, with some of the portfolio, you're going to be native to the IT funnel. So networking, let's say, just generally. If you're selling networking, you're probably not going to go to HR with that, right? Right. There are some use cases that sort of downstream will affect HR and how quickly they can provision apps for a new hire, for example. But usually you're looking at, okay, with the advent of the workspace product, we're really able to go to the end user. We were able to say, okay, you're going to get gains in productivity. So the use cases would change Mm -hmm. in this example. So I think that's the best kind of down home example is, is thinking of, okay, you know, is it general use? Is it in that IT funnel? Is it HR focused? Is it a marketing product? Right. Right. And it's amazing how many times people miss with that. They'll see sales director of enterprise sales and maybe they just are, are sort of a spray and pray there, but they'll come to me with sort of a marketing focused product. And they've just missed, I'm not the persona for that. Maybe they see a director of sales, but they Citrix being global, I'm one of like dozens of directors of sales just here in the America. So you really got to hit your mark there. And so that's the first one is persona. That's kind of the who, right? The TAM, the addressable market, are is there even a place for the product? So when you're thinking Reich, for example, project management, right? Everybody can pretty much use that. It's good for IT in terms of if they're using sort of a ticketing system, but it's really overall, you know, visibility to projects across departments. So it's really a general use thing. I love it because I can go to anyone and I can match up a use case. I don't have to think about, okay, where do I need to be? So we can sort of train, if you will, the group, marketing, sales, product, et cetera, on that general use case. So that's a big one. And I think one of the things that gets lost is we kind of roll this thing out, like here's the product, here's the marketing material, here's the sales play. Really, you should have some sort of visual for everyone. And I don't know if that's a it's sort of a product matrix, if you will. You know, So everybody has that kind of central reminder of this is why we're doing this. This is who we're going to, and this is the benefit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's almost like your cover page on any slide deck or any interaction across the organization. So that's an important one for define, but it's goal setting 101. It's like, what do we want to do? Well, we want to sell to X. We want to make this many sales in marketing. It's, hey, we want to get good ROI here as well. So who do we want to target? Well, if they're targeting sort of the C, the general UC level, and I'm going in the IT funnel, like we're going to have some misses there. So it's important that the whole team is involved in that definition and that one's not handing it to the other. And it's sort of a great brainstorming session I found 
to really kick off. And you come up with that sort of value statement, if you will, but it's really just getting into the TAM and, and the target market in terms of persona. Those are the two big things to be defined is persona and TAM. So then you know what you're working towards. Right. And both of those belong to the D, which is the define, right? And then there's the activate and the learning and the iterate. So what happens after you define those? So you have those things, now you have to act because especially, and I mentioned there's sort of two camps you could be in. You could be in a company like Citrix has been around for a while. We're not short on data. Like we can go pull that data. We can go pull that data for another general use product. And we can say, here's where we normally resonate. So we walk in with some learnings. Like there's verticals we do very well in, right? And we have customer stories and white papers and we're loaded up. So we know that that's a pretty good place to go act on the A and Dolly. Mm -hmm. And But it, let's say you're not there. You're a new company maybe and you have a new product. You have to go accumulate that history. So it's important that you get on the horse and you start A-B testing and you start testing your messaging. Is it resonating? One thing I loved in sales is when we would do this and we didn't have a lot of history we would go to the customer who inevitably would give us an objection, right? And kind of swat the fly, if you will. Right. Well, a good thing to lead with is to ask them their opinion on your messaging, right? And they'll tend to hang in because people like to help people, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a little harder to craft and kind of walk the line in marketing, right? Because it's hard to spend marketing dollars and just go, we're just getting opinion. But you can send out pulse surveys, things like that. But in sales, it was always, how do we know we're resonating, right? Right. Marketing's pretty easy, but sales, we don't really know. So I would say, if you're getting an objection and they're going to push you off the phone with a no, turn that no to a maybe by asking for some help and saying, hey, I've reached out to 100 people who are in your role, and I'm not sure I've nailed this messaging. What do you think? Hmm. And so they can help you, actually, the target customer can actually help you in crafting that value statement or your go-to-market generally. So getting on the horse and just acting and just getting in there, accumulating that data. We did this 100 times. It worked 18% of the time. Okay, now let's B test over here and see you know, if we're any better. I've been fortunate in this stop in my career to already have some really good data. So we've been working in um, verticals very strongly. Now it's breaking into those verticals that we might not be as strong or might not compete as well with. That's the challenge, but it all requires action. So you're just building brand awareness. What's interesting about that is I'm on customer calls today and and uh, some of them, because we've been so IT focused, that's where their concerns are. That's where their questions are. So they don't have those broader kind of workspace questions for us. We have to bring that to the table. Hmm. And so one question I'll ask is, are there any larger initiatives coming down the pipe here from above that are goals or in motion? And usually what you'll get is an amazing opening up of the use case. And they'll say, well, yeah, we're in an RFP for X or Y. And I'm like, gosh, I'm glad I asked that question because now I open up my product suite, if you will, or the capabilities within one product. So really interesting stuff there. Yeah, good stuff. So this is a good segue into what you're tasked with currently in your role, which is the green field, right? So talk to us about the size of the team and the charter for you and your team for 2021. Yeah. So as I said, I kind of had uh, larger orgs than I have today. I've had my last stop was 60. I'm a couple of the stops here at Citrix or, or 35 or so. Yeah. I have a smaller team today, but we do have more accounts than your standard sort of ERM has. So 
I have a small team of four in the West, and this was an opportunity for me to kind of get back to basics. I had been a level removed from the strategy, which meant I was in more planning and I was in more meetings, Mm -hmm. but I was detached from the ground game, which honestly, getting back there, I realized how much I missed it, right? But working with those more experienced sales reps at higher line sizes with well-known company has been tenfold the joy that I thought it would be thus far. So smaller team, larger quota, Mm. just it all kind of resonates at uh, the enterprise level. But the reason it's interesting today is because we've you know, if you think about an account stack and a seller, and it could be even marketing too, like marketing knows they get a great ROI going here. It's hard to pry their fingertips off that or get sidecar budget, if you will, to go after the unknown, right? Super tough. They want to go where they make money. And we're dialed in a bit there, but these were accounts that salespeople typically were not spending a ton of time with. They didn't slap them through the old cadence machine every once in a while, but the interesting thing was, is that they were underrepresented. So it, while it is a known company and a known product stack and all of that, that we hold dear and love, it's an opportunity to get into accounts that maybe haven't been worked with, you know, ferociousness that, uh, that our, our current accounts have. So it's interesting because we get to tell the whole story and it's, it's really wonderful to be able to do that, especially for almost every account I've heard of or use their products. So it's a really interesting line of work in that it's so new, but Citrix is so established. So interesting for sure. Yeah. So talk to us about some of the metrics or the KPIs that you are, you and your team is being measured against, right? I'm sure new logos is one of those. So if you are standing and looking back. So imagine that today's the day is December 31st, 2021. And you look back, what did you and your team do right in hitting those metrics? And how did you measure or have those uh, indicators? Yeah, I love that question because it is there is some nuance in uh, going from a, an SMB or mid-market to enterprise because the sales cycles are long. In fact, we almost call the inherent in the role is the word relationship, right? Yeah. So last year I had 100,000 accounts. I mean, so there's there's a different way of going about that, different KPIs. But essentially, I think I focus a little more on some of the non-revenue linear KPIs, if you will. Mm-hmm. So we still look at the things that standard sales organizations look at and our marketing looks at the same things, but we are focused on, do we have the right contacts? So, you know, you can have a sea of contacts in a particular account. Are we even, do we have the right people, right? So. I tend to try to comp a little bit on those kind of ground floor activities, if you will. So we could look at something like making sure we have the right contacts, meetings, who are those meetings with? Are they targeted to upper level buyers, things like that? Marketing, I would think would be the same thing. Like getting a lead is not the same as getting a C-level lead, right? Mm-hmm. In the enterprise world. Yeah. So those are some of the kind of non-traditional, if you will, some call them MBOs that we might focus on, but also the household ones. Like we want our salespeople to create pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, are they creating leads for, for the new products, right? Because my folks can sell the whole stack. They're not just a content collab or uh, this or that seller. So we do look at those traditional things. And then of course, there's the all important one of sales or bookings or or deals uh, as you're looking at those. So I don't think there's too much that you haven't heard of, but we do look at those kind of specific. So like with Reich, 
we're obviously a big push there. We might measure a KPI within that realm, yeah. but ultimately we need them to plant the seed, right? And if we don't plant a seed, so I'm compensating on everything from that, you know, the right person having the right conversation forward with most of that weight coming from pipeline build and bookings. Okay. And how do you typically incentivize your team members? Uh, what kind of ratio do you use? Like a 70-30 or 60-40? Yeah, I think most of my career has been either a 50-50 or 60-40. However, when you get, in my experience in the past, when you get to enterprise level, that's when you introduce a little maybe non-revenue-based compensation. So that would be what often is referred to, as I said, the MBO. So I think that the sales cycle being so long, they can bleed into the next year and most are on an annual plan. So, you know, those are things that we look at typically on a 50, 50, 60, 40. But if you build in the MBOs, because they're made to be achievable, you almost are moving to a 70, 30 or 80, 20 in year one, right? Once you're established and you can maybe back that down or a little less risk for the, the sales comp. But first year, year one, especially enterprise, you, you've got to have, uh, you can't just pay on, on commission because it, it might not get there. Guy joins you in June, gal joins you in September. Yeah. And you've got to have a way to compensate that in the meantime. Fair enough. And then what we are almost like month four, almost close to month five in 2021. Time is really flying over here, right? So what are your big barriers when it comes to executing against your 2021 goals for Greenfield in enterprise? Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the details here, but building a new team, I need to staff that and I need to staff that. And that takes time. You know, it's something that you want to do lightly. I think if you have 40 SB reps, there's less risk per hire. And when you've got a smaller enterprise team, the stakes are very high. So that was number one, staff the team. We're pretty much there. And I didn't get my start until March. So, you know, we're looking at six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks now going on. So that's a pretty good timetable. I think some of the challenges are there's so much quality out there in terms of candidates. And you would find this in marketing product, just the remote kind of work world. It's just a very competitive landscape. So I don't have any problems staffing with the right people. But then it's obviously launching them, getting them up and running and understanding the mission and how they fit into the go-to-market, yep. et cetera. But I think navigating a recent acquisition is going to be a challenge. It does fit nicely into our current product set, but how do we transition to really take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think this year, as far as my target, I would, I hope my boss doesn't beat me up, but I call it soft. I mean, I, I just think, you know, we're here to plant those seeds. And so I think if you ask me that question next year, I'd be looking at a big number. But in our inaugural year, we really want to get the groundwork right and the go-to-market right mm-hmm. before we're worried about you know really putting a good target in there. So I would say that you know probably the rest of the organization bears the brunt of the revenue when we're in year one trying to launch these efforts. So I think that's another important yeah. point, And I'm glad you asked because you really have to kind of have a good assumptions, some good assumptions in line and not place too much weight there because I think you want people free to be creative and free to test and not feel the pressure of, oh my gosh, I have this huge responsibility of revenue year one. Get the plane off the ground and, and then start to worry about getting those dialed into the rest of the org. Uh, so you can, I've operated greenfield teams in the red and they were actually winning teams, right? And then we get to year two right. and then we get dialed in a little better. Yeah, plant the seeds in year one. And then now you know 
okay, which messaging resonates, what should be the pricing or the uh, which portfolio to pitch and so on, right? And you also get a good hang of which reps are more motivated and which are the ones who are really selling well and so on. So I think that, that that's a good frame of how you're approaching year one there. Profile is important. I mean, I don't care if you're product, marketing, sales, you've got to nail the, pro- the, the profile in terms of hiring the right person. Right. You might have an established product person, but is that person well-versed in, in launching new product and developing new product, et cetera? So don't look back and kick yourself there. Get the right people in the right seats and it should go without saying, but... Yeah, that's so true. I think that's a great point, Sean, because not all are cut out for selling or moving, going or taking a product from zero to one, which is almost a green field, like our version one product in the product domain. And similarly, not all are cut out for just keeping the engine rolling and then continuing to make those deals day in and day out, right? It's two different mindsets. Personally, I've tried to do it. It's very hard to do both and be good at it. I build a profile for hiring for every role that I've ever hired into. Yeah. And it's surprising how many of my peers like don't have one. And and I can't tell you how many times I've lent that out or were given that to them because that's, you got to have the right people and you think it's obvious, but Mm -hmm. how many times have we walked into a role and we do an assessment of our current staff and you're like, wow, this person probably be better over here. So you got to have those, those greenfield minded folks, uh, regardless of where you exist in the go-to-market. Yeah, fantastic. All right, let's head into more of the closing section now. So what are the top two or three topics that you're really curious about and that uh, maybe you're looking at or leaning on mentors or you're leveraging some forums, podcasts, reading books? What are the top two or three topics that you're really curious about for this year? I think generally, I'm uh, so professionally, I'm a bit of a data geek. I've been fortunate enough to have a psych background. So I've been able to connect with people first. And, and I'm a communicator, sociology minor. So I've always been into the people end of it. I'm fascinated with some of the AI and machine learning uh, tools. So I'm reading on a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, making sense of data in real time, really. Uh, one of the most fascinating existences I ever had was with a BI product that told me where I was to goal, like, running on a monitor, multiple monitors, we had five or six of them around the floor. And it could tell us whether we were above or below water at any given minute. And so I was like, if you can do that, you can pretty much figure out anything. So doing a lot of reading on those types of things, I do enjoy marketing as my background. So I'm always interested in how we resonate with a consumer and uh, target a persona. So those things are, are always keeping me busy. But you know, when I'm reading, I'm trying to read how to be a better leader. I believe, you know, sales and marketing are people businesses. So I'm always trying to learn about how I can better resonate with people and sort of hacks. I've always been kind of a hacker. Remember the Billy Bean reference? He was just hacking baseball. That's all he was doing. And so I want to try to get an edge over my competitors. And so those are usually the subject matters. If I look at, you know, just purely go to market, I'm a big fan of Apple and what they do. I think there's a lot of people that are but they do it probably better than any. And uh, just, I was talking to somebody about the euphoria that you get when a new Apple product arrives in the mail and you're unpackaging that, sort of those endorphins start firing. But a big fan of uh, probably uh, Gary Vee is probably the best known one. Gary Vaynerchuk out of New York started the wine library and went from a million to 50 million. I'm always interested in how he taps into new markets and is able to test them and just kind of his thinking around that. And he is a people first guy too. So 
And I'm from New York originally, probably a generation ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, his, a lot of his content I could point to. And there are some other, you know, folks that are good in the industry. Sales Loft has some good people. Right. And they're an engagement platform if you're not aware of them. And, and they've really got some good ways of putting content out there. So I really enjoy that in little snippets as well. But I try not to read long books because I try to be nimble. You know, little clips, video clips, things on posts on, on LinkedIn. I try to get, you know, it's more is better. Uh, sort of for me. Yeah. Um, rather than reading a 300 page book, you know, taking a week or two to do it, I can consume 20 different pieces of content from 20 different directions. Cool. Good stuff. Social selling too. I'm really into social selling right now. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. So one final question for you, Sean, which is let's rewind the clock, go back to your day one of your go-to-market journey. And what advice would you give to your younger self? I love these types of questions and I get a chuckle out of it because I'm getting a lot of gray hair. So there's probably a lot of rewinding to do, but quite simply, I'd answer this question, write it down. I've gotten into so many situations where we have won tremendously. And then a person turns around and says, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. And you notice that, well, I've got bits and pieces of that. So I sort of chronologically, now at this point in my career, I have a good track to run on and there's various learnings here or there, but I would say, write down your journey, write down what worked, write down what didn't, because if you do well at that thing, they're going to ask you to do the next thing. And if you don't have any memory of what worked, what didn't, and typically it's at the same company, right? Like this is the fourth role they've given me because I've won at the first three. So if I didn't remember any of that, so write it down would be, I guess, the biggest piece of uh, advice if I had to rewind And uh, who knows, I may be a lot uh, richer than I am today, but it's a great question, BJ. I enjoy it. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sean. And good luck to you and your team. And uh, we'll cheer you from the sidelines over here. So thank you once again. Yes. Thank you. Thank the listeners. Thank you so much, BJ. I really had a great time and I can't wait till the next time. Hi there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. I have all of the show notes and a full transcript on strative.com. S-T-R-A-T-Y-V-E.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get a podcast, leave a rating and a review. Your comments will help other go-to-market professionals find this podcast. Mm-hmm.